Hello, and welcome to the RamGad Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director podcast. I am Jason Economu, your host and Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui. I am going to start off this episode by apologizing to my friend Lynette because I have been promising for months and months that I was going to continue the podcast, and I just, I dropped the ball, gang. You know, back in March was my last episode, March 19th, actually, and that was a great episode, but a lot of stuff just kind of went crazy. We had the stay-at-home order. My house is not very conducive for recording a podcast because I have loud neighbors and a dog, And I live there, and life is just loud sometimes. So I'm back in my office. I finally got a guest lined up, and I'm back with season two of, let's just call it the Ram Pod, the the Realtors Association of Maui podcast, because maybe I'll be talking about more than just government affairs director stuff. Anyway, my guest for this First episode of what we'll call season two is Asia Iyer. She is the um, one of the candidates for county council for the Makawao Pa'ia Haiku seat. She is running against Mike Molina. He has a ton of name recognition. He was dominant in the primary, but Asia is is really just an interesting and super impressive person. Um, yeah, she's impressive in the, the sense that she's got a degree from Harvard in cultural anthropology, but really, if you just take away degrees or background, she's, she's clearly a very intelligent person, very thoughtful, very um, concerned with the community, and just a, a pleasure to, to get to talk to and hang out with. This this recording that you're going to listen to was recorded yesterday on September 9th, 2020. We did the uh, podcast via Zoom. So her audio quality is pretty good. My audio quality sounds like I used a Snickers bar for uh, for recording. So, so that's a real shame. Um, it's still such a great conversation that I, I needed to use the audio. I needed to, to give it to the rest of you so that you could enjoy it and learn about Asia as well. Before I jump into the recording, though, let me give you a couple of updates as far as things that are going on in my world and in the world of RAM. First off, if you are a member of the Realtors Association of Maui, it is dues time. Uh, you got you to gotta pay your dues, folks. I know it's hard times. I'm sorry about that. Um, you know, luckily the, the housing market on Maui seems to be in a really nice looking U-shape recovery pattern. So that's positive news. I know it's hard times. I know we're all deeply concerned, but you know, Ram, Ram does a lot. The association relies on membership dues to, to keep on running and providing the services that we do. So please, if you, if you have the ability and the inclination, please get on that and pay your dues. Uh, As far as government affairs stuff goes, we are working on our government affairs committee recommendations for for who to vote for in the upcoming general election. Those should be finalized by Monday. The member survey has been sent out. If you haven't done the member survey, 
regarding uh, you know verifying the GAC's recommendations. That's in Thursday Things. Just check out the notes from the GAD in Thursday Things. There's a link there to take the survey. Also, it went out in an email on Tuesday morning. So you can go ahead and search your email for that. I believe it went out under my email address, Jason at RA Maui. So that might help you search. There is the Minnetoya loophole bill that we've been working on. That has has gone in, in a better direction than I had imagined back in April. And the council will be having its first vote on that this Friday. We're going to support that, and I encourage you to support that as well. They adopted all of the recommendations that we made as far as revisions to the language. Property rights are being preserved. It's good news for everybody. So, yeah, get behind that. In other good news, the county council is putting together another temporary investigative group regarding uh taxes and tax reform. So if you guys have any great ideas regarding the Maui County tax code and ways that it could be improved, you can either let me know or just, you know, go ahead and reach out directly to your council member. They they like hearing from you guys. And it makes us look good that our members are so engaged. So so I always encourage that. And of course, elections. Elections are coming up. If you are not registered to vote, please pause this recording, stop whatever you're doing, go online, register to vote. It's really quick. You'll get your ballot in the mail around the middle of October, and that is how you get to use your voice, exercise your rights. So go and vote and uh, invest in RPAC. Why not? It's, it's a, an investment in your career, your profession, in our community. And uh, National Association of Realtors is going to be um, investing a lot of our RPAC dollars back into Maui this year. Um, I've got a, I got a good feeling about that. Just take my word for it. You'll see. We've got some surprises in store for you. But for now, enjoy. This is my podcast with my guest, Asia Iyer, candidate for county council for the Makawao Paia Haiku seat. Uh, fascinating person, fascinating conversation, and uh, take care. And take care of each other. Aloha. Aloha, Asia. How are you doing today? Great. Aloha. Um, let's. Oh, sorry to cut you well, off. No, I'm saying I, I, I'm enjoying the rain. It's been a long time waiting for it. So. It really has been. Um, thank you for being the first guest on my return to the podcasting world. Um, I'm really excited and, and it was you that pushed for this. So that's awesome. Yeah, we had a great interview and a few, what, that was like, that was back during the primary election. That was in July. Yeah. Yeah. It was my hardest interview by far. It was killer, man. You asked some hard questions. I take I pride in that. <laughs> this is going to be a lot easier. Um, okay. <laughs> For, for this one, I really just want to take some time and get to know you, have a conversation with you. And so for the interest of our listeners, why don't you introduce yourself and, and um, yeah, tell us, who is Asia? Sure. I, for anyone who has children who's in their 40s like I am, I know that you ask yourself this question because you lose your identity a little bit in your family because I've been married 20 years and I have five children. And so even though that's not what I think about myself first, 
that's how I generally get quantified is that I'm the mother of five children. And um, that was not necessarily in my life plan, but I'm sure glad it happened that way because I have some great kids and my oldest just, uh, she's supposed to be at Columbia University, which is an Ivy League school in New York City. And they canceled classes and dorm living two weeks before school started. So she stayed, um, she was doing an internship in Utah. She's, she got, she's a um, competitive swimmer. So she got other girls from the Columbia swim team. They're, they're swimming in Southern Utah and doing online classes there, which is a very interesting change. And then my other four kids are home all day long doing virtual school right now. Wow. So this was the semester I've been waiting for my entire life that all of my kids were going to be in school and they're all home. <laughs> fun. So um, that's, that's what I takes up most of my time, but I'm also a small business and educational consultant and editor that it falls underneath my consulting business, but I do business editing. I do education editing and uh, this all falls under my degree, which I got, I got an honors degree from Harvard University in social anthropology. And basically what that teaches you to do is research really well. And so I, <laughs> I've been hired by businesses and um, education companies to do their research and to help them with their writing. When I graduated the last semester at Harvard, I was writing 900 pages of original research papers a semester. So I can write a lot or I can say a little and write a lot. I don't know depends on which way you want to look at it. You're but perfect it's, for it's politics. Real. Right. <laughs> um, but that, you know, it, for the first, probably the first 10 years of our marriage, I'm trying to think what the numbers are, but my husband and I ran a small business. Uh, after that, I was hired by Google to help with their new small business division, which is now Google Small Business and it's online. But I went in and helped small businesses get established with Google, get themselves on that new Google Maps thing. And uh, that led me to um, working both freelance and being hired by a couple, a couple of big small business consultant companies in Utah and Washington. And then from there we ended up here and we sold everything and bought an old plantation home here and took a few years to get it back up to its 1910 status. And here we are. So I've, um, I've farmed in the past too. So my husband and I have owned uh, two farms and leased one farm. And generally I've raised livestock and done just small crops, not a lot of huge crops. Uh, my husband is a general contractor. So he, uh, prior to moving to Hawaii, he was building large custom homes. So, uh, and a little too large. Part of the reason that we got out of the industry is he felt that he was spending a lot of time on things that didn't matter that much. So he's very, um, he's very environmentally conscious. Um, it would take a lot of effort to get his clients to work a lot of the new lead. Again, we were kind of there at the beginning of when lead became standards, but also just environmental building practices. And he was, um, he was really into that and made that a part of his building and it was a lot of effort. And so he decided just to do our own. So we just do our own remodels and home building. We don't work for clients anymore. And, uh, and I come from, <laughs> I'm not going to sound very progressive right now because both of my parents are also general contractors, 
but my dad does like large, heavy um, paving grading and underground. He used to be an open pit gold miner. And that's my dad's side of the family. Actually, it's, um, and my, even my grandfather, who's uh, Native American, they were all open pit gold miners. <laughs> and my mother's side of the family are farmers for thousands of years. And <laughs> she is an architect and uh, custom home builder. So her general contracting license is in custom home building. My dad's is in dirt moving. And then I married a general contractor. So I have a lot of building and developing in my background, but it's led me to be very environmentally conscious. And even my um, ancestors who were miners were always incredibly concerned about the damage that humanity was doing to the land because they were out mining in the middle of nowhere and would always put everything back as closely as they could. And they would see other, other miners not doing that same thing. So I was raised, even though I was raised in kind of this earth destructive household, we were always taught to be mindful of waste and be mindful of uh, the earth and, and what you're doing to it. And so here, and then I, and then I ended up marrying this man who, you know, we run all our cars on vegetable oil. He, he's always trying to get these sustainable farms, you know, refurbished and, and usable and, you know, left his very lucrative industry because he felt like he didn't have a place anymore because he cared too much. And, and here I am. And, and I think that's why I'm a hard genre to fit in as a candidate, because I have a business background. I have a, I have a, a building black background. And yet most of my work deals with somewhat of a more progressive, um, a progressive uh, approach, I should say, to local government, which is, you know, how do we work all of this in together and how do we be better every time that we step into a lawmaking position? How do we, how do we become a better county? How do we become a better government? How do we serve the youth better? You know, all those things. But I, I think I, if anyone listening to your podcast heard my interview, I know that it's, it's confusing. And I, that's not because I'm without direction. I think I'm actually lined with most people, but I'm not lined with the loudest bookends. I'm not aligned with those that are, you know, let's get development, let's the economy above all else. But I'm also not, you know, don't you dare touch anything or mess with anything that has to do with the environment or we're all evil. <laughs> I don't know. You are. You touched on something really, um, really insightful, like about yourself, which is you're a super confusing candidate. That's that's absolutely <laughs> true, um, and and it's interesting how you almost express a, a sort of sense of internal conflict over over your background and where you stand on issues. But to me, you actually seem uh, really relatable because of that. So the reason I say that is I'm like in my personal life, I'm, I'm a super lefty, you know, I'm, I'm really far left um, with a lot of my, my ideologies, but I'm also a lawyer. So in my mind, the law is kind of king. You can't, you can't break away from, from the boundaries of, of the law that we have. So, you know, I've been criticized for taking positions that are, you know, founded in, in constitutional basis, but they're not necessarily the feel good positions. And I think a lot of us, when we really examine our own ideas and belief systems, we understand um, 
yeah, capitalism is what feeds our families. You know, we, we have to work, we have to invest in our, our businesses and our professional abilities. But by the same token, all of us are also stewards of the land, you know, of, of whatever we have uh, responsibility over. So we need to be responsible with, you know, even in our gardening practices, not to use chemicals in our own homes right. and stuff like that. And, and the two are not mutually exclusive. Like you really can respect the need for businesses to function while also loving the environment and, right. and wanting to serve your fellow man, you know? Uh, and well, that goes in a social in the social realm. It's the same thing. I don't want high taxes, and I don't want the government controlling my life. But I do recognize that we have a responsibility to care for those who are more needy or need higher education opportunities or or those things. And it, I don't know if you're in the same boat, but when you talk to people from other countries, our political system is very confusing to them because they can't figure out why we're polarized the way that we are. They don't, there's, there's nothing like you and I are saying that tries to find compromise between the two and as its own platform in, and it's not even compromise to me, to me, it makes sense. It's not a compromise between competing ideologies because it is my ideology, but for, for people that are, especially in parliamentary government areas, um, they're confused. Like, why are you guys polarized that way? I don't understand it doesn't make sense why one side wants less government interaction, but wants more government intervention. And <laughs> how does this happen? <laughs> I think it gets a little healthier at the county level for us because yeah. we have the intentionally designed, you know, nonpartisan elections. But one of the things that we've noticed is, and this is a good segue to talk about your own candidacy and, and, and who's endorsed you, which is though, at, at the county level, it's not Republicans running against Democrats. What we are seeing is um, groups like the the Maui Pono Network, uh, the more progressive wing of of what is essentially the Democrat Party, kind of creating their own political party form. You know, with these Ohana candidates and running a slate of candidates, uh, right. and then you know other organizations. Ram makes internal endorsements, so we're not a, a great example for that. But like the Maui Chamber of Commerce comes out yeah, with, with you know more pro-business candidates, and that creates what I view as a false dichotomy. That you know I've I've had um, I've had our members say that you know we would be negligent to to endorse anybody that was an Ohana candidate or ever was an Ohana candidate because they they all stand for you know anti-realtor anti-development uh they vote down every housing project and you know some of the more prominent ohana candidates it's not really an unfair characterization that's a pretty accurate right. characterization but but you know by the same token uh it's not true of all of them so no and it is hard that way because these packs will kind of create their slight of candidates, but only because they're the better of the two candidates that are running according to what their ideology is. And Compaq is a great example also. Like my opponent was probably picked because he's more electable. It doesn't, you know, like that, there wasn't, and I've had other, I've had unions say that too, well, we're not going to select you because you're not as electable as an incumbent. So you have even slates of candidates that just have to do with their electability and not with their ideology. But um, I know I've talked with 
my opponent at work about that as well and saying, you know, in reality, you aren't just crazy environmentalists that are anti-development. Like you guys know that, right? And they're like, yeah, of course. Said, well, <laughs> because it's dangerous for a new candidate like myself because now I'm automatically char characterized like your, like your RAM members are doing as, you know, a crazy, I don't know what it would even be, but within the organization, there's all of these different, differing viewpoints. And I think some of these PACs were created just because it's so difficult to run elections in our county uh, because we have so much money that comes into them and they saw that there was a need to help the unfunded candidates um, get through it. So I kind of look at it from, an, from a financial standpoint, but that's really what these PACs were doing um, in the beginning. And now they have an agenda that they're pushing, but like you're saying, it doesn't fit. I mean, the Ohana candidates is a great example because you've got Alice Lee, Kelly King. I mean, you have like a very wide gamut. Of, <laughs> and it was a hard toss up for them between myself and Mike Molina. They, they're yeah. not they're not just going out into the public and picking people that they want to run. It's like two people are running and they have to pick one of them. And I, I think Mike was chasing that endorsement too. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that, that they, they didn't go with it. I mean, oh. you're, you're an outstanding <laughs> candidate, but, but it is that, it is that electability um, argument yeah. and, and, you know, the, the sort of overtures that, that he made throughout the last term um, were pretty recognizable. Well, he, uh, he worked for it. And worked for Sierra Club's endorsement. Like yeah. he, he really put forth some effort, which was uh, refreshing uh, <laughs> for those of us that care about things like not spending money on continuing to fight the injection well. I mean, for for those of us who've been fighting behind the scenes for that, we were like, oh, finally. But it's still kind of a political. I I still feel like it was political moves and not necessarily foundational ideological changes. So I think that's where I was able to win over Maui Pono Network, I hope. <laughs> so, and I think, they need, I think they recognized that they needed a more business and economy uh, advocate, more, someone that was more of an economy and business advocate on their team. Um, because that rounds out their vision a lot more and it is something that's very um, concerning to them. So I, I like to think that that's why they actually chose me. Even though I have a great environmental record, I think they actually pulled me in because I am data driven and I do have very specific ideas and I'm very, very passionate and have specific ideas and have been working on them for a long time for systemic change with the county operations and they recognize they need a candidate to do that because we can't continue to function with the county operating the way it's been operating. And all, all of the PACs I've spoken to are concerned, no matter what side of the, the county, uh, I don't know what we would call that, the spectrum. <laughs> the spectrum of ideologies, everyone is concerned that our county operations and the, um, the way the departments are set up is non-functional. Uh, in in too many ways. So maybe you could flesh that out a little bit more. So so what what aspects are non-functional and what needs to change? Okay. <laughs> well, the the county amendment for the for the county managing director is a good start. However, before I even get into this because I'm I'm going to try to preemptively guess what questions people have about this. If you look at the entire United States, older 
counties, so counties that are more urban areas, have been around for a while, have done away with county managing directors. So I feel like it's a maturity move. Uh, once you've balanced the power between your councils and your mayors, the managing director position is uh, superfluous. We have an unbalanced county uh, framework. So our mayor has exorbitant amounts of power and the council has relatively little power. Uh, they, can, they can make bills, they can do those things, but the, just the appointment of the directors for the departments is too much power for one person. And I think we've seen with the last three mayoral administrations that it, is, it becomes very difficult for the county to function on a professional level. For example, what happens within these departments is the employees who've been working there for some time cannot ever expect that they will be put up through the ranks according to their expertise or their good work. Because every time a mayor comes in, they have the opportunity to whitewash all the directors and get rid of whoever's in charge of that department. What happens within the departments is there's no reason for someone who's educated, who's good at their job, who wants a career to stay in those departments because they, they are never going to climb to the top and they might have someone who doesn't have any idea what they're doing in charge of them in four years. And then in another four years and another four years. This is very demeaning. On a managerial level, you would never do something like this. It's, it does not promote any sort of professionalism. And there is a lot of turnover in those departments, especially in the, um, the intro levels. The mid-levels, you have people who stay there for a long time, but then the higher levels, again, a lot of turnover. And we have a hard time employing professionals in the county departments. So the planning department is just a disaster. Even the planning department knows that. The, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not trying to throw these employees under the bus. Everyone knows that this is very difficult to work in this environment. So that's an example of where that mayor being able to come in and, and do that, that's not power that we should allow as a county. That's something that should have a level of professionalism. And I think in those counties where they've done away with the managerial director um, after having it for decades and decades is because they've worked back into their charter away for there to be professionalism within the departments. So that's one example of how we need to change county operations. I've been looking forward to this coming onto the ballot for a while and I hope it passes. Um, I know people who are supportive of the current mayor and some of our past mayors are going to be actively fighting against uh, that charter amendment. But some of the other things are term limits. So that's a big deal. Uh, the way that our budget is presented and sunshine laws, like having the ability to go in and find the voting record of any of the council members. And not just for one bill, but for all of the bills. That's a state thing as well. Our state doesn't, you cannot go up and look of any of our state house representatives, you cannot look up their voting record and have that just laid out to you. You have to go and look up the individual bills and then search through the bill and find their voting record. And there are organizations that are looking to change that. The information's available, but it's not um, correlated together so that it's e easily accessible. So it's making our members more accountable. Some of the things that are not coming um, in those charter amendments that I would like to see happen is planning departments that are centralized to the area so that Kihei has its own community planning. 
And this is a little scary for people who are developers, but I think that we need to see it as actually a benefit if they have power, because I could come to the Kihei Planning Associ or Community Association Planning Department and get something passed and then not have to go through four different departments. Mm -hmm. It would be a way to streamline and make sure things are fitting into a planning, a plan, a plan in general. That would be great to have a plan. <laughs> and so that people don't spend all this money putting together their development ideas or their, or their affordable housing ideas. And then it looks like it's going to pass. And then somebody just randomly doesn't, doesn't want to do it. It's, it's very frustrating. It makes doing business incredibly, incredibly difficult when we do not have clear plans. We don't have professional departments. And um, I don't know, some of the other things, let me look right here. Some of the other things that are coming up on this ballot are, oh, a really great one is making the county follow the county's rules. That's charter amendment number four on the ballot, which is crazy that we don't ask the county to follow the county's own rules. So these are things like when you comb through our, uh, our charter, it's all over the place. And I think anyone who's done law can say that too. We have so many uh, conflicts, things that don't run smoothly, and that needs to be taken care of. We need to grow up, really. We need to bring Maui into the 21st century in all of our departments and in the way that we operate. There isn't a reason with an $800 million plus budget that we're not functioning much more efficiently. We, have, mm. we are in the medium. If you look at per capita uh, county budget, we are in the, we're in the high average. So it's not that we're operating on a low budget and we're trying to make do, we actually have a very high budget per capita. Uh, and so that needs to be worked out. Oh man, we can go on forever about this. I think, oh, what's that? We have a lot of tourists and how does that work into our county budget? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about tourism. Well, and that, that plays in with how I think the county has been mismanaged because, and I'm going to confess something right now. I did all of my public schooling in Las Vegas. So I am a tourism baby. <laughs> I That's the main experience. <laughs> but I, you know, again, I looked at the data and we tax tourism less here than anywhere else that relies on tourism for the main part of their economy. We tax our tourists less. What do you We're mean by that? Like uh, between the, the TAT and taking into account rental car taxes, right. whatever taxes get passed on to tourists? Right. So instead of taxing tourists directly, we tax small businesses. So that's, that's where, where they're like, well, we'll just tax the small businesses. But most tourist places, so we have a $5, I think it's $5 per day right now on rental car tax. And the average is $7. Mm. And most metropolitan areas that deal with a lot of increased traffic because of rental cars are charging nine to $11. So that's one area where we are very low on our taxes. Our TAT, everyone complains about the TAT. We don't want more money coming, you know, we don't want to gouge those people. This is, these are the resorts that are asking us to not gouge the tourists and yet they turn around and charge an enormous resort fee. And our per diem TAT is again lower than anywhere else in the country that relies on tourism for the economy. So why are we taxing less and yet we're taxing our citizens and our small businesses more? For example, like commercial vehicles. I'll just take an example here. 
if, if I'm a small business or let's say I'm a farmer and I need to have commercial vehicles because I have my employees driving them. So they need to be licensed as commercial vehicles. My commercial tax is as high or higher than the rental car commercial tax. But the reason that commercial, and it's, and it's a huge overhead. Anyone who has small businesses and has commercial vehicles knows that that commercial vehicle tax is a, is a big part of your overhead. And the only reason it's high is because they want to tax the rental cars. So why don't we have a separate, why don't we have a rental car commercial vehicle tax if, if they don't want to raise the daily rate and then have a commercial vehicle for small businesses. But instead we raise the tax, we're, we're raising the taxes on businesses to try to get to the tourists, but it's hurting all small businesses, whether or not they're related to tourism. And those things, that's something that's within the county's ability to change. We have the ability to tax things like this and we don't. I don't want to raise any property taxes. I don't think, I think our property taxes are in some cases exorbitant, but they're, they're definitely high and our tourism taxes are low. And so we're dealing with horrible roads. We have horrible county amenities. Uh, we, you know, there's all these things that are falling apart around us and yet we aren't even dealing with what the real, you know, what is causing all of this breakdown? What causes our roads to just fall apart? Why are we overworked? It's because we have this industry that all those tax dollars go to the state. And the other problem with tourism is that we, our tourism is based on large offshore corporations. So most mm. of the tourism, so I think it's, a, I need to look because I don't have recent data on this, but a few years ago, they looked at how much of the dollars that a tourist spends here stay on island. And it's only like 20% because we have so many offshore corporations that are controlling our tourism market, which includes timeshares, you know, condos, things like that. And so that's where I'd like to, I'm not anti-tourism. I actually, I actually love tourists. I love them, but they put a huge toll on our island. Yeah. And they, and they put a huge toll on our economy when we can't have them come in. <laughs> so even when they're not here, they're putting a toll on us and that doesn't need to be the case. And I don't know if you know this, Jason, but we are the highest per capita tourism rate in the world. There's I did not only, know that. There's two places and I'm kind of, well, I'm kind of cheating. We're actually the third, but the two places are two tiny Caribbean islands that have like 200 people on them and have a cruise ship show up. We are the highest tourism per capita city area. So if you counted Kahului as a metropolitan area, we, um, as a county, we're the highest tourism per capita. And yet we deal with just somewhat crappy government conditions and that needs to change. That's definitely a huge deal. And I don't, the other thing that's frustrating is that when you ask the, the county, how are you gonna fix this? Their answer is throw more money at it. This is mm. not a case where we need to throw more money. It is a case where we need to make equitable where money is coming from. And then we can use that money appropriately, but it is not throwing money. And I feel that same way about affordable housing. The answer to affordable housing is not throwing money at affordable housing. The answer to affordable housing is changing regulations. So it is easier for developers to build affordable rentals and affordable homes that it's, it's not throwing money. The, it, the government, the county's answer for years is let's just throw more money at it. And that is not, it, first of all, it hasn't worked. That's yeah. what they've been doing. Oh, let's start a commission. Let's, let's do this. You know, same with tourism. Let's, let's start a tourism mitigation commission. No, <laughs> the answer is restructure and try again. It is not ever throw more money at it.
The government has never answered any problems by throwing money. Is there an example? I mean, you're, you're a research person, and that's very evident in, in the way that you speak. You've done your homework. Um, is there, there an example of, of a county that's been in a similar situation to us where they've done this major overhaul or restructuring, where they've created separate planning departments per city and, and done that? Yeah. And, and what, have, what has the impact been on, on the budget? Well, the, the, the place that I've been looking at the most, okay, I've been looking at two, um, San Diego and Los Angeles. And the reason I started looking into Los Angeles is because they have really, really high real estate uh, costs. So their like base real estate costs is very high. And they are running out of space for development. And so what I looked at there was just their taxation. So what did they change in the way that they were taxing in order to address affordable housing specifically? So I was looking at Los Angeles, like what overhaul did they did? And they have not been effective at it. So this is not a good example. <laughs> but something they did put in there was looking at a vacancy tax um, for commercial vacancy, which is very interesting. So they wanted to improve kind of the derelict empty urban centers, which we are seeing now in Wailuku and Kahului. And they changed the zoning so that you could come in and redevelop within areas that are, are derelict or vacant. And if a, if a large corporation, for example, A&B owns a lot of our commercial real estate down in Kahului, and they choose to leave, leave a lot of that vacant because it is a tax benefit to them. So having a vacant property gives them a tax write-off. And in a lot of cases, it's better than even having someone leasing, depending on their worldwide holdings. So what Los Angeles did to combat that was to say, if you are going to leave a commercial area or a re residential renting area, like an apartment building, we don't have a direct correlation because we don't have large areas of apartment buildings. If you are going to choose to leave those vacant, then we will tax you for leaving them vacant because we don't want to develop our open spaces anymore. We want to develop our already developed spaces so that they are efficient and effective. So that was something I was looking at with Los Angeles and they're in the midst of that right now. So I'm looking at like city of Los Angeles. So it's not a county, but they operate similar to our county. Um, San Diego, I looked at how they changed their managing director and they did see a huge um, uh, budget efficiency increase when they switched around. So they actually switched away from managing director but switched into managing director. So in both cases they saw a budget efficiency increase. So that means their budget was able to go further than it had in the past. So they weren't necessarily saving on their budget, but they were able to do more with the taxes that they were bringing in. Um, I have also looked at a few small counties um, in the way that they've addressed agriculture. And that's another one of our county amendments um, recommending that there be a Department of Agriculture. And I am leery of it. I'm gonna just be straightforward again because it is possibly an increase in regulation on farmers. But according to those who've put forth the bill and even reading it, I see it more as of an advocacy department and also a collaboration department. So it'd be taking in the parts of other departments that deal with agriculture and putting them under one roof and so that they can collaborate better and be better advocates for agriculture. So looking at counties that have seen declining agricultural use on their uh, fertile land, 
they've actually done this. They've made a county department of agriculture. So there's some places up in Northwest Washington that have done this. Um, I've been looking a little bit more at like Clallam County, which is an agriculture-based county, and it is really effective. Um, they also have helped planning departments make it easier for people to develop farms on fertile land without increasing government spending. So again, that's really where I'm at. Like what counties are able to increase uh, use of fertile agriculture land without the government throwing money at it? And what have they done? And it really is restructuring. I, I don't see, I haven't, I haven't yet found any examples of, you know, $200 million put in and it made a difference. It's, for me, it's restructuring. And that's probably because that's what I'm looking for. I don't want the government spend more money. I don't want to see a reason to increase taxes on any of the residents. I don't want to see an increase in property taxes. So what kind of restructuring? So that's a great question. I'm not, I'm still not that far in my use, but I definitely do look for it. Mm. Um, I think the pandemic gives us a, gives a great opportunity though to try it. And I have to say something else. Sorry, I'm talking oh, so much here, it. but because we are an island county or an islands county, we are much more effective at systemic change than other places because we do not have comings and goings, nor do we have a lot of crossover with surrounding counties. So something that a lot of counties have to deal with when they're restructuring is they might have like a school district that covers their county and half of another county or in planning this, um, this actually in that Washington County I was looking at, they have planning for their city area and then for their rural area, but their rural area is two counties. And mm. so when they make planning decisions um, or zoning decisions, they have to have approval from two counties. So we have, we have this unique opportunity as an island-based county to do restructuring without it being incredibly painful. And we can probably do it quick, pretty quickly. And um, that's why it's really astronomically important of who we vote into office in this election because we have a charter amendment process coming up. So the charter overhaul happens every 10 years and that's happening in 2021. And that's when we can restructure the county government so that it can take into account all of these changes that we've seen in the last 20 years. Because the last one in 2011 didn't really make any changes. <laughs> I mean, it made changes, but it didn't do anything that was good. So we only get this chance every 10 years and we need to go for it. Do you think COVID makes the potential for restructuring more likely or less likely? Mm. So the optimist in me says, makes it more likely. I'm not seeing that in the school districts because we're seeing them still try to push a very traditional, ineffective method of public schooling, even though we're virtual. So I think we're having some growing pains with that. Um, the education groups that I work with are really trying to help the public schools embrace the new world of technology and how it integrates into classrooms and so I was really optimistic and then the school year started and I had a slap in the face. So mm -hmm. on the county level, that's a great question. I do know though that when people are in as much pain as they are right now, economically, financially, they are more willing to look more seriously at what's going on and why they got to that point. 
I have friends that have very successful businesses that have been very good to them and their employees for years and they are closing shop. They never, they never saw this happen. And these are well educated, well, in, you know, very involved and they had no idea that this would happen. Mm. And I think they just kind of were going along with their blinders on because things were good. And finally they're saying, how can this, how can this change? How, how can we change things so that this doesn't happen again? And I haven't, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get people involved, uh, present the issues to them. And I've never had more interest than I have since the beginning of the pandemic. Hmm. But I, I, that's a good question. Jason, what do you think about that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I get, oh. I would love some optimism. <laughs> Man, Asia, I, I think I was in a similar camp as you, um, where I think early on in the days of the pandemic, I was a little more optimistic at the potential for, for transformation. Uh, now I am, I still think transfer transformation is likely. I, I think it's, it's almost certain, but I'm not optimistic with how it's going to go because, you know, especially when it comes to, to economic, um, aspects, the, you know, the economic impacts of COVID. At the start of it all, we were, everybody had this optimistic tone about diversifying the economy and finding the new normal. And instead of getting back to the old way of doing things, we're going to find a new way forward. And then as people started coming up with ideas, the mob just grew in their resentment and disdain for any idea. Um, a great example is that Temptation Island thing. If, if you look at the Temptation Island plan, that is the best plan it's, for any sort of economic recovery. You better lock your door right now because you are gonna have a riot outside. But I, I know, I agree. I see, I can see the standpoint of why just Temptation Island, there were other plans and why did you choose them? Yeah. I can see that, I can see that argument. To say absolutely not, we don't want them here is yes i agree it this is a well formed well thought out plan and everyone is just yes i, I the mob has come the mom has arrived and, and i don't <laughs> you know, money coming in <laughs> i'm not a fan of temptation island i think it's a trashy concept i don't even watch reality television show except for that show alone that one's a pretty solid <laughs> one but but that's because it doesn't fit with any of the other reality TV stuff. I only watch Amazing Race, or in the beginning years, I watched Amazing Race. That was it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so I'm not like a proponent of Temptation Island. But, but when people are coming with serious plans that, that take into account public safety, they take into account um, economic opportunity, they, they take all of the things that they're supposed to take into account, and they come up with a well-formed plan. And most of the people that are against that plan probably have no idea what the plan is. They, they haven't looked at it at all. Um, I think we're seeing that with pretty much every idea that's coming forward. I had a conversation with folks from uh, Chamber of Commerce and representatives from hotel and lodging, retail, restaurant industry. And we were talking about coming up with plans and everybody's afraid to, to throw in their two cents because the backlash is swift and aggressive. Yeah. Yes. And we, I think we're even seeing that with our politicians. I mean, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, 
that guy was was pretty well beloved, but he came up with his five point plan yesterday. And if you look at the comments on Facebook, like I read the plan and I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. This is pretty thoughtful. You know, this is straightforward to the point. And well, then you're the nice. Comments. I thought it was boring. I'm like, this is the most boring plan. It was yeah. so straightforward. Boring. I'm like, it no one's even gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly I was expecting nobody's gonna say anything but somehow people looked at this boring straightforward plan and and just picked they it made apart it, they made it out like it was the worst idea ever and you have you have no shortage of critics but you don't really have many leaders and right. you certainly don't have many visionaries right now well and you know visionaries are being shut down I have a good friend who's high up in the Department of Health and is just going crazy but at the very back in march we went for a socially distanced masked walk and i said what's the plan like where are you going to go with this and who's the visionary and she goes my vision is we are going to get onto our department of health platform and we are going to say to the public now is the time to get into the best health of your life mm. now is the time to eat healthy now is the time to exercise now is the time to take care of your emotional health and spend time with your you know close family and get ready to weather a long storm. And I said, that's great. I said, why, why haven't I even heard that? That sounds, that sounds exactly like what we need to hear in our state. And she said, oh, because the Department of Health has decided that that would be offensive to tell people to get in good shape. And I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> Can't you just try it anyway? Because you guys are gonna be eaten alive. I guarantee in two or three months, the Department of Health is gonna be a chewed up wad. Yeah. Which, and, you know, and, and, and so you have people that are pushing that, but they're told to sit down and shut up, basically. Uh, another, another department health story is they were pushing at the beginning, let's just test everyone and get contact tracing set up right now. And then no matter what happens, we're ready to go. And again, they were told to, not by the department of health, but they're told by the state, you don't need the money yet because we don't have the numbers for you to need the money. And, and so there's this constant, like bad ideas are told to sit down. But it reminds me a little bit of what's happening in schools. I mean, this is what public education is, is you have, I mean, I listen to my kids in their classroom and, the, and a little kid will come up with a great idea and, hey, I'm gonna do this. And the teacher will say, no, you've got to stay with the class. Don't, you've got to do, no, 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 don't go ahead. Don't work on anything else. Just work on exactly what we're working on. And so we, we can't really blame humanity. We can only blame ourselves because we are doing this to ourselves. We are systemically telling ourselves don't step out of line, don't go against, don't you dare say anything that might offend someone because like, how dare you? How dare you come up with a very boring plan? <laughs> Josh Green, <laughs> I really, I saw his plan. I'm like, really, this is so, ugh, I could have written this, this is so boring. <laughs> and, and yet you're, I love that story that people are just picking it apart. And I mean, I, I don't love that story, that's horrible. You know, it, it has, it certainly has a chilling effect on ideas when we have so many critics and I get it, man. I, you know, if you lost your job, if you're at home right now, if you got, you know, if you got five kids who are in school and you're, you're trying to figure out how to get them through their classes and also how you're going to put food on the table right now, you are pissed and you have every right to be pissed. Right. And I get that the impulse is to go on Facebook and just tear into whoever you can tear into, especially if you got other people saying that they're against your team. Uh, I think a lot of groups have capitalized on the divisive nature of the times in general. Yeah. And because of that, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a certain contingent of people 
where if Kelly King puts forth an idea, immediately, whatever the idea is, they're going to hate it. Right. And, and if Mike Molina puts forth the same idea, all the, the folks who supported Kelly King's idea it. are going to hate it. They're going to hate, they're going to attack each other. Uh, right. it, and there's no reason behind it. And I think we're, we're seeing that more and more. And that makes me less optimistic at how thoughtful and efficient whatever change is going to be. But, but the inevitability of change is, is something that we can't escape. I mean, quite well, frankly, scary because if, if we don't do this big stuff, though, you have the subversive change that's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I mean, that we either do transparency, get rid of corruption, you know, make the government more efficient change, or the government will subversively change. Like the, like the abandonment of sunshine laws during the pandemic, where the governor hmm. said that they didn't have to make all the proceedings public. Those things are going to happen if we aren't united in pushing for systemic change, decrease of corruption, you know, budgetary caution. <laughs> but I didn't mean to interrupt. I, it's, we're going to get changed one way or another, and it's going to be bad change if we aren't pushing for the positive unified change. Yeah. You know, the Sunshine Law stuff is certainly something to be concerned over. But that isn't my biggest fear right now. Um, you know, part of my biggest fear is, is competence. And, and I, I think you touched on it before when you were talking about professionalism amongst department heads. I think that our structure of government does not really foster a ton of competence uh, and, and professionalism. And, you know, that, that begins with, with the elections. Uh, you are, are a rarity in the sense that, that you're a serious person. You do your homework. You, I mean, I'm, I don't want to like talk smack about some of the other candidates, but if you watch the interview that I did with you for, for 30 minutes and watch, you know, some of the other interviews, there's a marked difference. Uh, between the people who have done their homework, who are serious about the job, and who can actually do the work. And with our politics, and Trump is the perfect example of this, we've lost sight of the fact that we're electing people to a job, a real job, and not just a, a, a regular job, a job that requires you to work double the amount of hours. You're going to get paid probably less than you would doing anything else. No matter what, you're going to piss off half the population with everything that you say. Uh, you're going to be criticized vigorously and accused of all sorts of ethical impropriety, even if you do absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, and, and you still have to do the actual work. And instead, we're basing it on, on you know, who our favorite group endorses. Right. Which the favorite groups, you know, as and with that, I rescind my candidacy because <laughs> this made it. <laughs> it's really an awful, awful thing, and we are just we're electing people because we like their signs. Yeah, I mean that's what we do on Maui. The only data I can pull up is science. That's the only that's the only thing people focus on. That's where the majority of the money goes to is science. Yeah. So why are we electing people according to their signs? We elect them according to their signs or or who endorsed them, and you know. Right. As, as a representative of a trade group that, that makes recommendations <laughs> to <be> members, <laughs> there's, there's value in the endorsements. But you know, for any of our members that are listening right now, I want to explain 
that I don't necessarily want you to vote the way that RAM provides its recommendations. Our recommendations, I, in my mind, are not intended to be, you definitely need to vote for this person, and if you don't, you're against us, and you're against everything that realtors stand for. No. I think everybody has a personal responsibility to, to vote for the candidates that they think are best. And I will tell you right now, my, my personal voting record does not match up with, with Ram's recommendations. It doesn't. And, and it probably won't match up this year with, with whoever Ram provides recommendations for. Um, I'm okay with that. I have, I have no problem with that. And, and I don't think really any of our members should feel like they need to vote the way that, that Ram suggests. Our recommendations are, are based on, you know, it's, this is gonna piss you off. Part of it is electability. Um, yep. It's not the. Oh, the I know that factor. doesn't piss me off. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, part, but but a big part of it is how people, how much time they gave to to Ram in our meetings with them, um, where they stand on realtor issues based on their responses to our candidate questionnaire that we sent out, as well as their responses to the in-person interview, uh, feedback forms from from our in-person interviews. Uh, and and really where it positions the organization for the next two years. Because that's those are the considerations that an organization like the Sierra Club, Surfrider, RAM, the Chamber of Commerce, all of these organizations, that's what they care about. The, the ability to influence is, is pretty much the most right. important thing. When right. it comes to individuals, we have a professional responsibility or a personal responsibility to, to support candidates that we believe in or that we trust to actually do the job. And, and those are kind of different things. Right, but I do think you can't ignore being a member of a trade group and feeling like the guys on your team, that holds a lot of power, especially for people who vote according to their union recommendation. Mm. The union sells it as this guy is on our team. And that is really hard to compete with when you are not a union uh, supported candidate because it, they they have a history of seeing those elected officials voting or enacting legislation or whatever according to what that union asked for. So in a way, on a personal level, they feel like it gives them personal power as part of the team of that person. So I, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. And I respect that trade groups and Compaq and everything, they have to, they have to select candidates according to electability because they would lose their they would lose their power. And like you're saying it's kind of remarkable that Maui Pono Network chose me an unknown over Mike Molina who's been in office for 19, you know, on and off for 19 years and is a household name. Like why would they choose me because I'm not uh, on paper or even on the street as electable as Mike Molina. <laughs> I mean it's just not going to happen in Maui's in Maui's environment. But it, it's still so they're they're kind of those outliers but all these trade groups the members feel like oh my vote isn't just a vote i'm becoming a part of a team by voting the same way as my union yeah or as part of my trade group but you know the the realtors association of maui ram is an interesting group to me because your members are more diverse than i think anybody else <laughs> yeah where I mean, there's certainly a like a demographic group that that is dominant in in our association, and that tends to be um, you know sort of generally women um, and 
and more often uh, like middle age and up is is where we tend to see a big chunk of our membership but right. ram and and just realtors associations in general really do we represent the spectrum like the broad spectrum we've right. got folks we've got realtors who work for ohana candidates we've got realtors who have worked for you know the mayor's office my uh, and and we've got candidates that or um, sorry members that fit throughout the entire political spectrum here on Maui uh, and nationally. I mean, I've, I've got, we, we got them all. But <laughs> so it's interesting that it even, that, I mean, I'm glad that they do. It, it is kind of a subsection of the population, except like you're saying, more. I mean, it's a high energy career. So you have people more in their middle age. But it is, when I was being interviewed by Ram, it was interesting because some of the questions were kind of accusatory in my progressivism. And yet I looked at the group and knew many of them. And I'm like, what are you saying? Because at least half of the members of RAM are very progressive. <laughs> like you, there's not, you don't fit into one genre, except maybe that you're well-dressed and oh. maybe probably better looking. <laughs> RAM members are probably better looking and better dressed than any other trade group organization. But <laughs> you're just sucking up now. That's, that's I'm not, that's, that's true. <laughs> In fact, I was advising another candidate and they said, I said, you need to come off. I was, I'm not going to tell you which candidate this is. I said, I think you need to come off a little bit more business uh, capable. And they're like, well, how do I do that? And I said, you need to go video, do a video, a talk story with someone who is very professional. And they said, well, who would I pick to do that? And I said, a realtor, of course. <laughs> who comes off more professional than a realtor? <laughs> and, and they laughed and they're like, that is so true. There is no other profession where you can be relied on to be very well-dressed and professional and know your data like realtor a good realtor knows their data they are they are very well informed in what's going on they have their fingers on the pulse constantly if they're good at what they do so i hope that candidate took my recommendation because <laughs> i agree with everything you're saying about realtors that's all very accurate stuff uh, you know, I think one of the issues with, with realtors and, and why you might have been feeling like you were taken to task for your pro, uh, progressivism is um, realtors on Maui get pigeonholed into, you know, as a group, we're thought of as this like conservative Evil. body. Yeah, yeah. This no, like, no, don't even go conservative barter. You're, you're considered like evil. And that is not... <laughs> I'm just going to speak because I live near <laughs> some of the areas where people say that that's not accurate. It's not like realtors aren't developer. I mean, developers aren't even evil. I'm, I'm related to too many developers and maybe, mm. they, maybe they're a little, maybe they're a little evil, but a realtor is someone who helps like it's, it's a person who advocates for a transaction. And so there's not like, they're actually fairly objective and they they follow the market. They don't make the market. That's another thing too that you guys are accused of is inflating house prices. Oh, we, yeah. But <laughs> if you yeah. guys had power like that, you would be in office. But I don't. You know, yeah. I don't know knows. who's inflating. I, I don't. Right. I have no idea how. Who has their button? You know, their you guys have a little bike pump. <laughs> it's a bike pump, and you're inflating the market. When and, I. Yeah, when I took this job, I um, I 
was shocked when when yeah i i heard that sentiment that that realtors are kind of evil or, or the bad guys and it's kind of wild because the more i learned about realtors through this job and the history with our national association and and the stuff that that we focused on i mean when it comes to like trans rights and and really just any any sort of equality women's rights trans rights homosexual rights um black rights realtors are often at the forefront you know, our whole mentality is people are people, everybody deserves a house, whether you're, you're gay, whether you're trans, whether you're Latino, uh, Latinx, sorry, um, African-American, whoever you are, you deserve the same access to housing and, and the same you know, rights that go with that as everybody else. And your employer needs to respect you the same as everybody else. I mean, our code of ethics, uh, we have one of the most stringent and active uh, sort of oh, yeah. policing of ethical behavior from, from realtors um, than, than any other organization. I mean, I'm also a licensed attorney and realtors end up getting monitored and sanctioned far more often in, in my view of the profession than attorneys do. I've seen attorneys get away with, with all sorts of stuff oh. that a realtor never would be able to get away with. Because we really take it seriously, that reputation. And you know, when it comes to environmental issues, like you said, most of our, our members, way progressive. You know, I love the environment. I, we, none of us support any of the bad stuff that often you know, we get equated with. No, I, and there's, something, there's something else about realtors that I think our community needs to understand is that realtors live here. A realtor yeah. is like everyone who is a realtor on Maui lives here. Their money that they make stays on island. They are not part of, I mean, you might have an umbrella um, franchise. You might be with Century 21 or something that takes a small part of it. But but generally that that is an economy boosting uh, section of our community. And so coming and making for some weird reason it is weird on maui why culturally realtors are considered like the boogeyman it's a very important part of our economy it's important to locals and the and the majority of realtors are selling to for locals to locals so it's not even that i mean they're not you don't have realtors on california who are selling the, like to me it's just mind-boggling i we could go on and on but i think yeah. that's an important our community to understand that these are your neighbors who are helping they're assisting in transactions they're making sure that transactions are ethical that people are buying homes that are safe that they're getting the best deal on their loans that they're i mean there's so many parts of a i mean i've bought and sold i think nine homes so i've spent a lot of time with realtors and I, they're invaluable that you they save money for everybody involved and they get this job done. And I don't know why you guys, all, everything that's wrong with Maui is placed on your shoulders. So I definitely defend that. And I can see why some of the other candidates, their statements that have been said, maybe make it seem like the progressive side of Maui politics is part of the reason, but I, I think it's just misplaced. I agree. I, and that's why, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. a loser. I, I appreciate it. No one dresses up as realtors for Halloween. Like you're not to that point yet. No, it, it would be a boring Halloween costume. Uh, but, you know, even, you know, for instance, one of the things that I love is this idea that with our economic recovery, we want to be mindful to have a feminist recovery. 
Um, mm -hmm. yep. that's, that's a great idea. Realtors, I mean, that, is, that was one of the earliest careers that Perfect. a woman could right. be, not only be a part of, but be her own boss and be successful. I mean, we opened the door for a lot of women to enter the professional world. And right. yeah, it's, it's disconcerting that we're seen as a bunch of like curmudgeonly old white guys that, you know, are toasting Trump and smoking cigars while, you know, I don't know, burning down forests. That isn't, I've never met that group. <laughs> That's not us. We don't do any of that stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so I appreciate well, that's a really, that. That is a really good point. It is, it is actually a, it is not just a cottage career for women. So when, when women were looking to go back to working, and I just want to make it clear that prior to 1900, most women had, you know, an economy at home and the industrialization of the world took that away from them. And it was, and, and they could only have small, small cottage industries until this opportunity to be a realtor. And, that, and that's accurate, you know, in the 50s and 60s, women went out and became brokers and realtors. And it's a very important profession for a lot of well-educated women who, first of all, they're very good at it because mm. they're good at negotiating and winning arguments. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, um, you know, women are naturally good at that. They're trustworthy it has a code of ethics all those things but i i absolutely agree it's a it's an important part of the recovery for women and just so that readers are aware we did pass like a women um economic recovery covid bill it was put forward back in june um but it's kind of just a it's not really getting traction yet but this pandemic is especially hard on those gains made by uh pro-feminism in that they want equality in payment and equality in work opportunities and equality in education because women take the brunt of household and child care. So uh, just so the readers, in case they're wondering why we're saying, or sorry, the listeners are wondering why we're talking about why women need this recovery as, you know, as so or more. In my own case, I, my husband and I both work from home but I still, and he's fabulous, but I still take the majority of the childcare on my shoulders. And it is very difficult to continue my work with that. And I know all those other women out there, I hear you. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is just absolutely crazy. I never expected in my life that I'd be asked to do this. And I have homeschooled my children before. This is not homeschooling. This is something much, much worse. So mm. that's, that's why they're seeing women are getting the brand. Also, um, something that's happening that maybe we all need to be aware of is that when the new year hits and the unions are able to go back into negotiations with the resorts, we're probably going to see a big whitewashing of employees out of the resort areas. And that is probably going to hit women harder than men as well. Yeah. So we are going to see a, around the turn of the year because, uh, we don't know who's pushing to keep the island closed necessarily or why we don't have a, an opening plan to allow tourism in and, and everyone has their varying reasons, you know, safety and all those things. But we're probably shouldn't expect to be open to tourism until 2021. And that's when those contracts are up for renewal and we're going to see a lot of women unemployed. And that is really unfortunate for our island. And we are going to be hit, women are going to be hit harder here than anywhere else in the country when it comes to our unemployment. So that's, that's very scary. I know that a lot of the council members right now are trying to um, 
take care of that. And I know some of our state house representatives, but now I'm sounding pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, you've been hanging out with me too long. <laughs> oh, man. No, I don't, I don't mean to laugh. It's, it's really scary. It's really scary. I, yeah. you know, looking a lot of people have said, why would you ever run for office right now? We are going to have probably the worst two years. 21 and 22 are going to be the worst years on Maui in known history. Like, why would you ever want to be in office? And I don't know sometimes because it is, I, the things that are going to have to be addressed are, are life threatening to a lot of people. And that frightens me. That's and in addition to, you know, our increasingly bad weather, our very long dry summers, you know, look at the last six years. We used to see wet. It wasn't dry until September or October. Why is it? It's been dry for the last six years from June yeah. until October. I mean, we are experiencing climate change. We have an, a total economic implosion. It's, this is not the best time to be in office, but maybe if I can make it in and hack it, then, you know, you can make it there. You can make it anywhere. <laughs> let's, let's say you, <laughs> election time, you win the election, you're, yep. you're sworn in to county council. Um, what is your preferred committee assignment and why? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I would like to be on the budgetary committee and I'd like to be on the planning committee. And I'd actually, this is very strange, but I'd like to be on the, what is it called? The transportation committee, but it's the. Multimodal it, transportation. Yes. Committee. I don't yeah. know why I just really like everything that they discuss. <laughs> um, oh, what else was I just with? Uh, one of the meetings I was just in, I'm like, oh, this would be a really fabulous committee too. Um, uh, it's like the operations committee, but it's called the, I think it falls under the budgetary committee, actually. You might be thinking government ethics and transparency. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That one. Yes. yes. Yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Get me in there. I would love to do it. I love committee meetings. My husband thinks I am a crazy person, but I love committee I love being in long meetings. I was, I was made for this job. There's just nothing that I love. <laughs> long meetings so I'm ready I'm ready to go and I have a you know there's a lot of things I the pandemic we're still gonna be dealing with the pandemic so I think a lot of that first six months in office is going to be recovery but I I still I, I'm going to swing back to the optimism and feel like if we can get the systemic change in there we can clear up a lot of our issues with corruption and retaliation in the county increase the level of professionalism in the departments um, you know, we're not going to see a huge budgetary, budgetary shortfall because our budget comes from property taxes, which are probably not going to change. I don't know if people are going to be able to pay them, but, but we also don't have, we don't have as, me, as many budgetary costs this year because we aren't running a lot of the things we normally run. So I think that it, in some ways it's an exciting time to seek for change and to, and to, and I'm not saying like overhaul the whole thing and, you know, change the government completely. It's just cleaning up what's there and, and making it run more smoothly. And it's not, everyone's like, you'll never get that done. It's not that challenging. That's why it blows my mind. We haven't done it already. And when I talk to other council members, they say the same thing. I do not understand. It's just a couple votes. You know, it's standing up to the mayor. We could have done this years ago, but people just don't care. So any, let's get it done. <laughs> do you have any concern 
with the feasibility of that vision if so much of it is contingent upon the department heads themselves guiding the restructuring? Well, I, you know, we already have a managing director, right? Everyone's clear on that. Yeah. The change, the change in this charter amendment is that they are hired by the council and the mayor and cannot be fired without the approval of the council and the mayor. So, so we already have something similar to this, but the other change is that the managing director would hire the department heads for all of the departments except police, fire, and the liquor board. So the mayor would still appoint the directors or the heads or the chiefs of those three areas. So let me think back to your question. How am I answering it? Do I think that this would actually change? Yes. A lot of what, so I'm a member of a number of nonprofits and what we deal with is every time a mayor changes, we have to completely change how we do business with those departments. And, oh, that'd be like, oh, just change. But it's, it's like they change, the, a new department head will change everything within the department, change all of the employees, and it becomes non-functional for a couple of years. Mm. So basically we, like you would never run a business this way. No one would ever run a business like this. <laughs> Why do we do this? So yes, I do think that would change. If the department, if the department heads were hired according to expertise and their professional level, then I, yes, it would change this. And the fact that the managing director could fire them without, see when the mayor appoints director, directors of the departments, there's some cronyism there. And so, if that person's doing a bad job, it's also very difficult for the mayor to get them out. Because mm, it'll look like, bad on him, yeah. Right, and there's not, and there's not this um, expectation that you are uh, working to a certain level because you're put in there because of your past cronyistic achievements. <laughs> like, how well did you contribute to my campaign? What kind of supporter are you? Are you my nephew? I mean, these are things we see in the appointment of department heads. <laughs> so, so yes, it would definitely change that. And if you, I, I, anyone who disagrees with me, I dare you to go talk to a, a mid-level employee in any of the departments and ask them what they, what they feel about this. Because this is, I'm not just making this up and this is one, I have, I have actively asked county employees who are at the, in professional positions, right? So they have education, they're working for the clerk's office or for the planning department or for the zoning or for the county manager or whatever. Ask them what they feel about this. If they think that increasing the level of professionalism would help them function better. So, and if you find someone who says no, come and talk to me and ask them specifically about the county director because this, we have, a, we, I mean, we have thousands of employees for the county. This is, we need to do them right. We need to help them be happy and optimistic with their careers in the county so that they'll they'll do the job that we need them to do. We rely on them heavily and we need them to do a good job. And we aren't expecting that from them when we continually allow just this crazy uh, favoritism to go, go on above them. Mm. To, I, what to, do you think about it? You keep coming back to this. I'm kind of wondering what, like, where is your hesitation on it? What do you feel about it? Oof, man, I I have such little faith in people. Um, 
No, I, I really don't know. I, I honestly have tried largely to avoid the issue of, of restructuring. Um, you know, the old, the old managing director proposal, I thought went a bit too far. There were too many things that were uncertain. There was, it stripped a lot of power from the mayor. I think, you know, like you pointed out, we're a young county. And for a young county, a model with a strong mayor seems like, you know, it, it makes sense. I, I get it. But I mean, a that's- A young and small county. See, this is young the other small thing county. We have, we have hit the population threshold. So we are not a small county anymore. And so we can't, we can't rely on what counties who are small rely on. Yeah. So not I, only are we young, but we're also, but we're also not small anymore. And you know, part of my big concern is, is it's the representation or, or the, the democratic yeah. aspect of it, which is from research that I've seen in counties where they have a managing director, oftentimes the tenure of the managing director is like on average is seven years. So right. not necessarily as much time as a mayor would spend anyway, because incumbents right. have this huge advantage, mayors get two terms, that sort of thing. So right. it, it begs the question of, of the level of professionalism. And then with our county's budgeting and, and the levels of compensation that we would give somebody, are we going to get a high quality professional managing director? You're who, saying we pay too little to get somebody really great. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is a good point. I, I'm actually a little bothered by the salary recommendation. I think they want to offer like 120 and I don't think they're giving them a full staff. So mm. I could see like a managing director getting a full staff and then maybe they should definitely be making more than I, I never mind. I'm not, I'm going to make enemies if I start, if I start dogging on some of the salaries, but, uh, if you if you look at the data, a great a county functions well with the managing director position in the way that we're proposing it if the county is able to divide the power or the authority in between the county council, the mayor, and the managing director. So that's when it functions well. When it functions not well is when that director position has, holds too much power or when the mayor holds too much power and the county director doesn't. But you've never, but I have not found any data that shows that when the council has too much power and it functions poorly. Um, but I'll, I'll keep looking. I feel like the new charter amendment does address that. So they've decreased mm -hmm. the power given to the county uh, managing director. And it's not, it's not the professionalism of the county managing director. It's taking away the ability of the mayor to appoint department heads. That's, yeah. that's it. It's not, it's not, you don't necessarily need a managing director who stays for 40 years. In fact, that would probably be detrimental. It Lovely. might be better to have someone who comes in where we can do a, a nationwide search for someone who, who wants to come in for seven years and is able to infuse some energy and, or a statewide, at least a statewide search, you know, but we can have someone who comes in and infuses energy and ideas, but you're not taking you're not taking those department heads or you're not saying to the employees in the departments, no matter how good you are, if you're not a friend of the mayor, you're never going higher than this mid-level position because that's demeaning. And so 
like my optimistic view is that we do divide that up. So you have the managing director has a limited power, but it still cuts into the mayor's power. I feel like our mayor is overpowered for the size of county that we are. Um, and that's it. You just don't see it function anywhere. Like, why would we expect it to function here? If you have a fabulous, fabulous, the best mayor in the whole world, yeah, it works great. But that's also with monarchies. If you have the mm. best king or queen in the world who's magnanimous and cares about the poor and is good with finances and does the research, yeah, monarchy is probably the best form of government. It probably is. It's the least wasteful if you have a good king. But if you have a bad king, mm -mm, not so good. Lots of wars, lots of money spent, lots of fancy clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying our mayor has caused wars or fancy clothes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think Sandy uh, is doing a great job as managing director. I think yes. Mayor Victorino, honestly, I've, I've got very little complaints or very few complaints about um, a lot. I, I know the complaints are there and I, I know there are valid complaints, um, but but I, I personally- It could be worse. It could, you just need to say it, it could be a lot worse, people. It could be a lot worse. And, <laughs> and you know, quite frankly, between- I mean, I'm happy he won. I'm I'm happy he won the last election given given the pandemic. I you know I, I I'm not I'm, allowed to say anything right now because but yeah, I'll and just, that's that's fine. I just envision what I'm doing with my head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I have immense respect for for Don. You know, I I think he's he's a smart guy, but you know. Well, and I, I, I have That's immense... where we're going to vary, but, but think... maybe other choices. Other choices, maybe this was a better choice. So yeah, and and I I have respect for for Ellie as far as you know the message that she sent she sent and and especially how she made people feel. I think Ellie's greatest yeah. strong suit yeah. was was making people feel right. empowered to be a part of local government, um, but. Mayor Victorino is was is the best possible choice that we could have had for COVID nineteen. Cool. Yeah, he keeps he, his cool. He keeps his cool, and and the guy he knows how to politely tell people to go work on their own. Uh, you know, like to well, and, and heaven, busy. You know, and aren't we grateful that he stood up to the governor? Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to put it out there. Like, thank you for standing up to the governor because it could have be going the other direction and yeah. in some cases he's led the other mayors to say nope that's not the state's jurisdiction and mind your own business so yeah and and so it's hard for me to be too critical of, of mayor victorino given given his responses to COVID and the wildfires i mean the guy's right. been johnny on the spot when it comes to emergencies right. um so so I don't want to criticize them. I do think improvements definitely could be made to the charter, especially. There's there's a whole bunch of right. improvements we can make to the charter and to our system of government. I'm just so skeptical of of everything. Well, what about term limits? I mean, you I can't love that. term limits. Love okay, term limits. I think we're gonna get those passed pretty legit. Yeah. And the other one is the charter commission that says that the county council gets to, I mean, that's number five on the ballot. And that's saying that the county council gets to choose the majority of the charter commission members. And I think that we, if we're looking for more democracy and more representation, we need to give more power to the county council. I know you're scrunching up your face and no, our I listeners think, can't do that. But. <laughs> I, think, I think you're, 
See, this is where I worry about the partisan aspect of it, though. I think you're right. Like, from a democracy standpoint, the mayor shouldn't be the one that's that's picking the whole charter commissioner or majority of the charter commission. Like, because that's, it that's just a really good argument. Increase the power of the mayor. <laughs> but mayor by, charter is still mayor heavy. By the same the mayor token, pick what changes it. You you run into when if if you have a council that develops the mindset that. Um, there is no independent thought. You know, I've, I've heard some members right. of the council, current sitting council members, criticize other current sitting council members because they voted according to the research that they did or according to their own conscience. And then they just of, group them into that genre. I'm not going to yeah. listen to anything she says. Yes, they've become partisan within the county. Yes, yeah. and, that, and that happens. But if we, let me look at what it is. So the council would elect nine members of the charter commission and the mayor would elect two. So the mayor still has a say and the mayor doesn't have to get approval for his two members. Whereas the nine that are elected by the council members have to be agreed on by all the council members. So mm. I can see what you're saying. If you have a, like if you're not a progressive and there's a progressive majority council, this would be bothersome to you because, or vice versa, if you're, you know, if you feel like you're on the other end, that this would be bothersome and you would rather throw your chips in hoping that the mayor is someone that you agree with, but it can go both ways. Like, I feel like that the committee level is better in these sorts of decisions. So having multiple voices to elect a charter commission makes more sense. And not in my case, because I live in Mockwell, but in most places you have a little bit more um, voice through your council member than you do through the mayor. Yeah, and so you you have better representation for things that are important, like you know the charter commission, which is hugely important. This is hugely important, people. Everyone, listen. <laughs> this is this affects your daily life. It affects how many tax you know how much taxes you pay to the county. It affects where your kids swim. It affects you know how how many sidewalks there are in your neighborhood. It affects it affects like everything you do. It affects your trash pickup. That charter commission is so important. And the more representation we can have, the better. That's how I feel. You know, we, we maybe even need to go a little further though and have our council members elected by district. And that might take away some of that partisanship that you're seeing. Maybe, but it would be tricky. No, nobody will go. Well, it's because it leaves out some of our, you know, our less populated areas. It would, it would make it very difficult to see strong representation from Molokai and Lanai and Hana if they lost their seats. Yeah. Um, but I think we could be creative and I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that one. It's very hard to run a campaign for the entire County as a council member. And, it, and it begs the question if it's appropriate. Right. You know, Why am I <laughs> You're, yeah, you represent one seat, but, but you know, we, we saw, um, I think uh, the clearest example, Molokai, uh, last election, Stacey Cravello won Molokai pretty, pretty strongly, pretty commandingly, right. and Keani has the seat. But I'm, that's in my case also. Yeah. Haiku, Paia, Makawao, I, I won a large percentage of the haiku votes. Mike, if you go back and look, doesn't win this area. And he's been our representative since 2001. 
And on top of that, there is not really any reason for a council member to listen to the members of their specific community when they call and push for things. And the Haiku Community Association is a good example again, because they would like to be consulted on the water rights debacle that everybody's going through right now from both sides. It's a debacle. And, you know, Mike is being a good support to them, but this should have been cleared up a couple decades ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> good job, but this really should have been cleared up. Kind of like the injection wells. This should have been cleared up back in 2004. Like this shouldn't, this shouldn't be 2020 that we're dealing with this. And so without having that person who is, who has to answer to an area, those ans those areas become easily ignored. Mm. Uh, because, and everyone's just focused on the Wailuku Kahului voting block. I mean, that's another, that's another problem with when we run these council member elections for the entire county is none of the council members have any reason to go out to Lanai and Molokai. Yeah. Not even the people who are running from there. <laughs> like we aren't, the way it is right now, we're not representing them anyway. So why would we think that going into district voting, which just, that would mean that you just vote for your council member. Why do we think that that would cause less representation of those underpopulated areas? Because they're not necessarily getting represented as it is. I'm not saying that. I think I think Keone actually does um, represent, and um, you know, the previous Lanai. But the, it, it could be it could be different. They don't have to seek those votes, is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. they don't have to answer them. And I, you know, I go back and forth on that myself. I've I've heard real good arguments on, uh, you know, for both approaches to it. Um, I don't know. I, well, I don't, think about, I don't know think about it this way. Think about it this way, maybe instead. If the council became, so if you have a mayor that is still kind of that figurehead, right, and, and has powers for appointment, has powers for bill vetoes, still creates the budget, does all these things that they need to do, um, and is, is generally the leader of the county, and then you have a council that is made up of people who serve just a few terms, and run within their district. And so it's not this exorbitantly expensive campaign. And like what we were talking about e earlier, it's not something where you have to spend, I mean, our campaign limits are $126,000 and people spend about $90,000, eighty dollars to $90,000. That's, that's some of that's unreported because it's their personal funds, but that's an expensive campaign. And you're yeah. basically running a mayoral campaign. You have to run for the entire county and so you get these people that have to be supported by the unions to win. They have to be supported by the trade groups. They do not win without that support. And so we don't have a representative council. We don't, they're not only are they not represented by the districts, but they're not actually represented by any individuals because you, you can't run up against the unions with those voting blocks. And you can't run up against Kahului and Wailuku with their, you know, 40,000 votes in that one kind of chunk of area. So I, I think that it is more democratic for us to have district voting on the council. And it makes sense with our population. <laughs> and we need to always keep that in mind, especially realtors can see this. As our population grows, and it may not grow as fast as it has been growing just recently, but it will continue to grow. There's not any reason why we would stick at our current population level. We need to build something that sees the forward vision. We need to build into our counts, our county's organization the opportunity to be more representative despite a larger population. Mm. Or in or even though we have a larger population, we need to still be able to represent groups of people and not continue to allow voting blocks 
to rule the elections. And we need to entice better people into office through making it less painful to run. <laughs> You know, yeah. and that's we ha and and I think that I think the way to look at this is our state house representatives for that Democratic ticket. We have really great people who run for those offices, and I don't think it's because they're excited to get into the state house. I think it's because it's a less painful campaign. It's mm. like greater benefits for less work, and for someone who has a job, who has a family, who's educated runs a business, you know, is a retired activist. These people that have lives going on, there's not any reason for them to run for council. Yeah. Because why run a year long campaign to be one member of the county council? It doesn't, and I, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, you have to pander to unions because you don't get elected without them. Sorry, unions, I love you dearly, but I don't want to have to pander to unions in order to get elected for one seat on the county council. So did I win you over yet? We need district voting. It's not a, it's not even, it's kind of a non-issue. I don't even know why we're talking about it because it's not going to get passed with the people who yeah. are in right now, but. So let's, let's think about the other end of the spectrum here. Um, what happens if you lose in, in November? What's, what's your, your contingency plan? How do you continue to influence? <laughs> I'm glad you asked this. So something I see a huge vacuum for a whole is, better data collection on the county of Maui. And I, I am embarrassed to say that I didn't recognize this was a big problem. And I think it's partially because we don't have, our university is not focused on um, this aspect. So, you know, UH Maui um, is a really, really great school and we are so lucky to have them, but they don't have any departments that are data collecting. Um, UH Manoa does. So you can see statewide data is a lot more accurate than um, Maui-based data. So I'd actually like to get a lot more involved. I might um, actually trademarked my campaign slogan, which is Maui Forward. So I kind of have this, I kind of have this built-in thing that I could, that I could carry forward and start being a really great data collector and do a report card if the county isn't able to get their system. Supposedly the county is getting their system in line so that they uh, make it more accessible to grab voting um, records for the council members. But I would really like to have something that's just kind of running tally of county operations and county voting. And I'd like to collect voting data. I'd like to, uh, just get uh, more serious on that. Look at the committees. What are they looking for? And I think that could be a powerful influence because we don't have people testifying that have hard data. Yeah. So a lot of the council members, and again, I really respect them. They use their staff to gather that data. But you don't. You don't. Sometimes you don't know why your council member is voting the way they are. It's because they have tasked their staff at collecting data. But maybe that's something a nonprofit could. It could uh, take on as well be sort of a doesn't that sound like a boring thing to do oh my goodness now that I'm saying it it sounds so boring but it sounds really exciting to me <laughs> just becoming a better research arm um, and I'm hoping you know it, there's some commissions I'm uh, kind of applying to to be on um, and I as hard as this has been to run a campaign during the pandemic I have made some really great connections that are a little bit outside of the normal circles I work in. So I work a lot in Makawao, 
Pukalani, Kula, Haiku, Paia. I work a lot with youth. I work with a lot of education um, groups and I, but I've been able to really get to know people in totally different realms. I also work with environmental groups and I'm hoping to kind of be more helpful in those areas, the areas that I'm not usually working in. Um, affordable housing, I've been able to make good connections with people that are very uh, kind of on the forefront and pushing for change. So I, I, you know, whether I win or lose, this has been a positive experience in that way because my, you know, my, my goal really is this is my home and how can I help it be better? And I can't sit down anymore and just put up with it or, you know, think it's going to get better without just everyday citizens making an effort because it's not, it's not. And so many people have been working so hard for so long and they're kind of just these lone wolves, just trying, trying to correct the corruption, trying to correct the inefficiency. And I want to, I just want to lend my help in whatever way I can. And I want my kids to have a future here. I want them yeah. to feel like they can go get their education and come back and run a business or run a farm um, and, and be able to live here for the rest of their lives as well. But with the economy looking the way that it is, I, I, I don't think it's going to just magically heal itself. We need to put our creative minds together and come through that. And I say that you always need data, data and creativity, <laughs> data, wait, sorry, data, creativity, and courage. We need a good dose of courage in there and optimism. I like optimism. that mix. I like the mix data, creativity, and courage. I, I think that is a good, uh, good formula for success. And I'm, I'm happy that, that you are geared towards being involved, whether you win the election or not. I think, I think we need more people like you. Um, oh, I mean, you've already made it onto my short list of people that I recommend for stuff. Um, oh, so, <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, Asia. Um, oh, you've, you've personally and I'll be running over. again. I'll probably run again. Not because I love it, but because I already have the posters and t-shirts. So, you know, if, <laughs> if, if you don't win this time around, I have a feeling that Mike Molina is going to have his eyes set on something a little bit higher next time than, than oh, council member. Oh, we can talk. I have some inside information. Uh, is Mike listening? Uh, we'll talk later privately, but... Yeah, so I, I, I have a feeling... I, I would hope so. I think Mike, I, I just want to say, Mike is a really great person, and he has devoted, I mean, basically the majority of his adult life to doing this and and i respect him totally for that i respect a lot of the decisions that he's made there is no ill will from me to him in running against him it's not because i don't think he can do the job or anything like that i just i just feel like we need a little bit of enough and a lot of a change and that's where i'm coming in but yes i've definitely i'll definitely run um next time i honestly i'm, I'm really saying that why the heck not i already have the t-shirts and signs <laughs> <laughs> and I've already, you know, I'm kind of feeling like a pro now. It's, I haven't, I have never run for, well, I, you know, I've run for like president of nonprofits and stuff like that. I actually uh, was just, I was actually just elected the president of the KKLEK Band Boosters Club. So I did, I have, I have won an election in 2020. I didn't even know I was running, but I did and I won. 
but um i'm gonna put that on the the podcast description <laughs> as uh, that's what uh, the title that i'll use for you uh, band for the, president. <laughs> the funny thing is i don't even play a band instrument i play the piano and the organ but i have kids that play but um you know it's horrible to run an election but i love talking to people i mm. love I love smiling. I love, like, it's not because I'm a politician. I actually just honestly love talking to people. And this has kind of distracted me from all the horrible stuff that's happening with the pandemic and really yeah. reach out and see what I can do to be helpful. And it's gotten me out of my little bubble of sadness and, you know, and, oh, who cares that my business isn't bringing any money? No, I do care. Like, it's all horrible, but in a way, it's, it's this way to get out and bring a little bit of light and hear what people are worried about and be a shoulder to cry on and try and find a way through this. And it has just endeared my community in my heart so much. And I'm sounding really fruity right now, but I like, I have this like really deep seated undying love for my neighbors throughout the entire county because of this. And even the people who hate on me, it's weird. <laughs> And, and even my husband, my husband is like, why are you doing this? People are going to be so mean. And even the people that are like mean, I can't help but just say, how can I help you? Like, how can we make this better? I, you know, there's things that are unlikable about me, but, and I wish, I don't know. I, I, my biggest wish is just to be more helpful and to make a difference. And it may be an office, it may not. Hey, I have to tell you, when I've been in these discussions about the Department of Agriculture, the County Department of Agriculture, I'm like, that's the job I want. Like, that would be, <laughs> that sounds like the dream job. I get to go out and advocate for farming and work with all the departments. That sounds awesome. And gather data, like the D County Department of Agriculture would be like a big data gathering. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. So I don't know. I don't mean to sound all gloom and doom about where the county's going because it's, you know, I love it dearly and whatever I can do to be helpful, if it's a council member where I'm most helpful and the public decides that, I'll go and give it my 100 800%, whatever percent that's above 100. Um, but if it's somewhere else, I'll, I'll do the best that I can there as well, so. Well, whatever it is, um, just know that you can give me a call and whatever Ram can do to help you and whatever I can do to help you, Thank you, you, you Thank have you. our assistance. Um, we've been talking for a while, so I figure let's, let's wrap it up. And what I like to do is at the end of all my, my interviews, I ask five questions and I had the same five questions for what we'll call season one. Um, my podcast before six months ago when I, when I abandoned it and now <laughs> we'll, we'll call this the first episode of season two. So I've switched up the questions a little bit. Okay. And you are going to be the first one to answer these. Oh boy. <laughs> so first question, keeping it the same, what book would you recommend? It doesn't have to be your favorite book, just a book that you would recommend to our listeners. Well, I, the book that I give as gifts the most is called Gift from the Sea. And it was actually meant, written by Anne Morrow Lindbergh. And she was the wife of Charles Lindbergh. And I give it to other middle-aged working women because it, it just is, it's, it's like a, a beautiful book that helps you bring everything kind of together in your life and have more courage. It gives me more courage. Uh, That's a, a good book, answer. <laughs> thanks. 
You seem so nervous now. Well, no, because this is, I have like 20 books. So I'm trying to like, what's the very best one? (laughs) You know, okay. I know what book everyone needs to read. It is called Why We Sleep. Why We Sleep. Actually, don't read it. Listen to the, listen to the audiobook because the guy has a very delightful British accent. He sounds like Wesley from The Princess Bride. But it is, it is all the science. That's my genre right now is I love like pop sci, so like popular science books. Um, this one is really, really great. It'll convince you you need to get a good night's sleep every single night and that your kids get a good night's sleep. So everyone out there, why we sleep. Outstanding. And if you're a woman, get from the sea. <laughs> in addition I, know. I uh, now i have gifts to get my wife this is good yes, perfect. <laughs> all right question number two who do you admire and why oh you keep these are huge questions <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna get very pointed of someone i admire i really admire my oldest daughter right now and she was a senior she graduated from king k Kalike high school 2020 And these seniors had life slap them in the face in the hardest way possible. Everything they had ever worked for, dreamed of, even if it was just like a graduation party, Mm. was taken away from them. And it has been, and I I know this because I've worked with a lot of kids who were class of 2020, just because of the way I was doing education consulting and teaching. And so these were kids that I just loved K. Kelly K. Class of 2020, you know how much I feel for you. And it's been a hard, it's been a hard thing for her. And about two weeks ago, her courage kicked in. I keep bringing up courage, but I'm loving that word today. And she just took the bull by the horns and said, I'm not going to let COVID determine my life anymore. And came around. And I really, really admire her for that. Even though she's my daughter, she's been kind of an old soul in her own. She marched to her own drum for a long time. And that takes a lot. Despite everything that has been dealt to her, she has pulled through and is kind of like her old self again. So kudos to you, Anna. So admire her. That was a really nice answer. Um, <laughs> when have you failed and what did you learn from it? Should we just go today? What <laughs> <laughs> I'm the mother of five children. I am reminded constantly of what I am failing. <laughs> you know, I have I have Zoom meetings between work, running the campaign, and my um, organizations that I'm involved with. I, I have about seven to eight hours of Zoom meetings a day. And that is in addition to, and I don't go to all, sometimes I just have to bag them. But um, last night, my daughter needed help with homework. And I was still on a meeting at 9.30 p.m. And, and it was hard because it was someone who couldn't meet during the day. And, it was, and we were getting a lot done, like a lot done. And it's, and it's someone who's, who's like donating a bunch of time to an organization for me. And that was a failure for me. I, sh- I should have, and, and she was playing with friends from like three to five in the afternoon and I should have pulled her in when I had a free time and worked on that with her. So I fail constantly at really um, organizing my time so that my priorities get the best part of my time. Mm. And I think parents out there can, parents, spouses, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends, we can all attest to that. And that's something I try to do better every day. It's not that I don't have the time, it's that I'm not prioritizing correctly. And I need to be, I need to be better about that. 
So big fails though, I don't want to talk about them. No, <laughs> that's okay. Well, that, you I know think... what? Since we're talking to realtors, since we're talking to realtors, the things where if I could go back and tell myself something differently in time, it usually has to do with real estate. So, oh, why didn't I buy that house? Those are like my big fails. <laughs> but I, I can't complain. Like I'm, I'm comfortable now and I've made good decisions. But yeah, those are the things that like keep me up at night. But those are stupid. That's stupid. Why do I even worry yeah. about that? That's just money. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, just let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> this is a nicer question. Where is your happy place? Oh, okay. I have two. I have two happy places. I, if I'm in the water anywhere, it's my happy place. Like just being in the water. And it's hard to get me in because I don't like any cold water at all. <laughs> <laughs> so it is hard to get me in. But if I'm in the water or if I'm out fishing, I don't necessarily have to be in the water, but if I'm out with friends on a boat fishing, that's my happy place. But I do have to be really honest. I was not born on Maui. I'm from a small, I was born in Washington, but I'm, my family's from a very small island in Washington state. It's only five square miles. And that- What island? It's Blakely Island. It's in the San Juans. So my family has lived there for many generations and that's my happy place because it's, it's my childhood, you know, and that's, I have like that ancestral belonging there. So, and it's surrounded by water <laughs> and I'm in the water a lot there, even though it's super cold. <laughs> so anywhere in the water and then my, my little tiny Island. And it's great. Um, when I talk to kids who've grown, you know, teenagers who've grown up on Maui, and they kind of, they actually do ask me this question. I get this question a lot. And I tell them that I'm from an island also. And they're like, oh, you know, and I'm like, no, the island's five square miles. And there's 65 families who live there. And they're like, oh, respect, miss. Like total respect. Yep. <laughs> they said, your little issues with knowing everyone and being related to everyone is nothing compared to what I grew up with. <laughs> we're all, we're all related. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, yeah, anyway, go, move on. <laughs> All right, and the final question, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone listening? Oh, man. I, I'm tempted since I brought up the sleep thing to like try and get better sleep, but <laughs> get in good shape. I don't know, all the things I'm kind of failing at. But the advice I would give though to our community is to very seriously take a look at these charter amendments that are on the ballot. It is, I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot right now. It is more important than who you vote for, that you vote for these charter amendments. I really believe that. Like I wouldn't, I, I'm not some, some puppet of somebody else. I have been fighting and talking about these for a long time and it is so important that you vote according to what's actually going on. And if you don't understand, ask someone. Like, don't just be told by some group, this is how you should vote on the charter amendments. We need to get really serious about this. And I'm gonna disagree with Jason right now. This can make a difference and can make a very, very big positive difference. And it's so serious that I am tempted to like abandon my vote for Asia IR campaign and just go go out and go door to door with my mask on or my hazard suit or whatever and just beg people to vote yes on all seven charter amendments because 
I feel that strongly about them. And I believe in the people who've put these forward. And it's not just the council members. It's huge teams of people behind them that have worked on these for years. These are intelligent, creative solutions to a lot of, well, some of them are intelligent, creative solutions. Some of them are common sense solutions, like the county following the county's own rules. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the advice I give. Everybody get real serious about those charter amendments. More so I, than who you're voting for. I don't care. I like, I don't even care. Vote for the signs, whatever signs you like the best. I don't care as long as you take those charter amendments seriously <laughs> and vote yes. But you know, you have to vote with your conscience and your intelligence. So you might come up with a different decision for me, but don't just guess on those. I love it. I, I think, I think that is, um, great advice. I'm not going to necessarily say vote yes for, for all of the charter amendments. Um, but you're absolutely right. And, and I have the utmost respect because for a second, I thought you were going to say the one piece of advice I give everybody is to vote Asia I. But instead, <laughs> hey, maybe you like, maybe you like, I, I was tempted, Mike used to have saxophones on his posters. I was, tempted <laughs> to, I was tempted to put a piano on mine because I'm a musician, but I only play the piano. I was going to be like, just vote for the instrument you like better. You know what? It doesn't really matter. It, if, if you can't, if, if I only get eight things, or sorry, if I only get seven things from you, I'd rather have the seven charter amendments than you voting for me. If I only get six, I could tell you which ones are most important. Like I could back you back down, but they are, they're more, it's more important than anything else. It's, it's much more important than who you're voting for to be president of the United States. Like it's. <laughs> that was pretty important though. That was <laughs> That's really important. Okay, this, I'm gonna quantify that. That's important but your vote doesn't make as big of a difference there as Very it does true. at, home. at yeah. home. Right here, home rule, we need to be taking care of our house. Yeah, I, I'm gonna add on to that. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I was largely joking about the president thing, but people need to get involved in what's going on in local politics. The, what the county council does and what the mayor does affects all of us here on Maui way more than whatever Donald Trump tweeted or whatever crazy stuff he's up to. So it's just a distraction. It's a distraction. And, Don't get and distracted. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm with you. Let's get everybody voting. Let's get everybody involved. And I am, you know, I'm because now I consider you a friend after talking to you for two hours straight. Um, I I wish you the best of luck with the election. Thank you. Um, but I feel better knowing that even if you, if you don't win the election, you're still going to be kicking butt, uh, and helping, anywhere. helping people on Maui. And we, man, we need the data collection. We really do. Wait, you and I need to talk about that later. Let's do. Yeah, we do that. Um, okay. all right. Well, that's, that's all I got for you. Uh, we can, okay. we, we'll set up something in the future. We'll do this again. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aloha, Asia. Everyone. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.